Chapter 4. Do's and Don'ts of Dating I used to find it puzzling that the instruction manuals of the most complex, sophisticated appliances never failed to include turn on the switch in the troubleshooting section. Yet, as obvious as it seems, customers must occasionally overlook this essential step. The same goes for shidduch dates. Since starting to date is a new endeavor, many find it baffling. Down-to-earth practical pointers in this chapter are geared to dispel a lot of the confusion. The first step. The first thing you should do when you're ready to begin dating is to notify your friends and acquaintances and request that they keep you in mind. Tell them something like, My advisor feels it's time for me to start dating, so I just want to let you know that I'm available. The next step is to contact people beyond your immediate circle who can also help you. There are individuals who are not particularly occupied with the enterprise of matchmaking, but who happen to know a lot of people. There are also those who are specifically involved in pairing singles and arranging for them to meet. Among these shadchanim are those that do it purely as a mitzvah, while others do it for money. We were raised in a culture that looks down on the professional matchmaker, who arranges marriages for a fee. However, there is absolutely nothing wrong with asking for money, just as there is nothing wrong with a doctor who charges for his services. Arranging dates usually involves a lot of time and effort, and it's acceptable for a person to try to make a living from this. The Shulchan Aruch states that a shadchan has the right to demand payment. In fact, the shadchan can even stop a wedding from taking place if she, he or she has not yet been compensated. There is an interesting story that gives a different perspective on the whole matter. The Chavetz Chaim once wanted to buy a special pair of tefillin. Now, when a person wants to do something holy, the effort he puts into it should also be as pure as possible. For example, when the Vilna Gon purchased a chair to use for Torah study, he would make sure that there was no theft involved in attaining the wood. All the preparations involved in fulfilling a mitzvah are bound up with the holiness of the mitzvah. So when the Chavetz Chaim wanted to buy a special tefillin, he wanted to make sure that the money derived from a source that was as pure and holy as possible. What did he do? He didn't take the money from a grocery store that his wife ran to support the family. Rather, in order to get these special funds, he arranged the marriage, specifically intended to charge a fee that he would use to buy the tefillin. This was the holiest payment he felt he could get. In other words, since the Shulchan Aruch states that the Shachan has a right to charge a fee, there isn't even the slightest suspicion of theft involved. The Chavetz Chaim said that there is no better way to acquire kosher money than arranging a marriage. At this point, I would like to mention that our holy traditions say that it is a benefit for the couples themselves that money be given to the Shachan, since it brings them bracha. Often, when there were troubles afflicting married couples, Rabbana made inquiries as to whether their Shachan had been properly paid. In many instances of non-payment, the trouble disappeared once this was taken care of. Only deal with reputable shadchanim. However, when dealing with shadchanim who charge for their services, you do need to be careful. Many of them are honest people who do a job in a very upright way. A number of them, though, do it purely as a business and are not particularly careful about whom they introduce. Be wary of shadchanim like that, since their primary motivation is to make money. They won't really care about your time and effort or the stress and frustration that needless dating can cause. If you see that time goes by without anyone contacting you, it's a good idea to call people up again. You don't have to deliver any big speeches or be ashamed of calling, just remind them that you're still available. Many of these people are very busy and it helps if you give them a brief reminder from time to time. If long periods go by without nothing on the horizon, you should remember that everything is in Hashem's hands. 
It's decreed in heaven how many people you must meet and how often. Now is the time to draw from your reserves of betachen. If you feel you should make more effort, pick up the telephone and try again. But afterwards, sit back and wait patiently with the realization that everything is under Hashem's control. Sometimes a person gets discouraged when none of the people he is meeting fit what he is looking for. A young man came to me recently with this very complaint. I told him, it's already decreed how many girls you have to meet before you find your soulmate. Would you rather meet a girl that is a borderline case and then drive yourself crazy trying to decide if she is for you or not? Or would you prefer knowing immediately that the girl is not for you? Thank God you don't have to agonize over your decisions. Appreciate the fact that Hashem is sending you girls that you immediately recognize are not for you. Discretion, however, should be used to verify that the mismatches are not due to the fact that your friends in Shadchanim might be misinformed as to what type of shidduch you're looking for. Impressions and Impressing The prevalent attitude in Western, Western culture is that the purpose of a date is for the boy to impress the girl. The knight used to slay a dragon to impress the girl, and the troubadour used to strum tunes on his lute to win the girl's attention. Likewise, the yeshiva bracher has to impress the girl with a yeshivish kind of way. This means displaying a certain kind of attitude and behavior on the date. But this approach is wrong. A person should not be constantly trying to impress the other party. One's main attitude should be that of an observer, as though you were interviewing the other person. By interviewing, I don't mean interrogating that person, but rather observing the person instead of feeling that you have to constantly impress. This creates a different frame of mind that allows a person to feel more relaxed, since he doesn't have to worry constantly about impressing his companion. On the other hand, don't overlook the need to make a good impression. This is part of the effort you must make when looking for a bride, nor is this a contradiction. You shouldn't be so busy trying to make a good impression that you fail to learn what the other person is like. But you should also shouldn't say, since it's all up to Hashem, what's the difference does it make how I dress? You have to be conscious of the impressions you are making, of how you act and how you appear. The fact that it's up to Hashem doesn't exempt you from making an effort. There is a story which I value very much about Rabbi Aaron Cutler, the Gadol Ador, and his father-in-law, Rabbi Isser Zalman Meltzer, one of the Gadol Ador. Rabbi Aaron was a student of Rabbi Isser Zalman, and Rabbi Isser Zalman thought that Rabbi Aaron would make a good match for his daughter. Rabbi Aaron was a short man, and Rabbi Isser Zalman's daughter was taller than him. When the couple was about to meet for the first time, Rabbi Isser Zalman told Rabbi Aaron to stuff paper in his shoes to make himself look taller. When you first hear this story, it almost hurts the ears, but there is a lot we can learn from it. We see from here the importance of making a good impression. However, the first thing that strikes us is that deception was involved here. I have no question that Isser Zalman would eventually have told his daughter the truth about Rabbi Aaron's height. However, it sometimes happens that when you meet someone, you form an initial impression that prevents you from going further. And in this case, maybe the height difference would have prevented Arvissar Zalman's daughter from recognizing Arvaran's fine qualities and true greatness in Torah. When external things are in order, a person is naturally more open to appreciate inner qualities. Therefore, it was not really deception, because surely Arvissar Zalman's plan to tell his daughter the truth afterwards, once she had recognized Arvaran's true greatness. First, she had to be open enough to see who Rabaran really was, then she could put the height factor in its proper perspective. This is true of every date. How often will a wife see her husband wearing Shabbos clothes during the week? Maybe the clothing the Bachar wore on the date was even borrowed from a friend. The girl also makes elaborate preparations for the date. 
Does she really look like that every day? The whole event is a show, but there is a positive side to it also. When people look their best, each party is more open to seeing the other's true qualities. If the boy or girl come dressed in their weekday clothes, they may not be able to focus on the important elements of personality and character traits that are beneath the clothing. Making a good impression is one of the efforts a person must put in during dating. It is not a trick. It just helps the other person focus on what's important without interference from silly idiosyncrasies. Looking from the outside in. On the subject of observing, I'm often often asked how a bacher can know if the young woman he is dating is a kind-hearted person, or if she has any of the other good quality character traits we listed. Of course, you have to do your research, as we discussed. Besides that, though, there is a very important tool that most people do not rely upon enough, and that is one's own intuition. You can't base all your opinions upon this, but it's it's an important source of knowledge that you should be sensitive to. Everyone has a natural, intuitive feeling towards other people, and these are significant. A bacher once asked a certain rabbi how he could recognize a girl's traits. The rabbi responded, through chachmas haparzov, which is the Kabbalistic technique for recognizing a person's personality through his facial features. But I don't know chachmas haparzov, the bacher said. Of course you do, the rabbi answered. I'm not talking about Kabbalah, I'm talking about the sensitivity that you and everyone else has from the time they are infants. Every baby in a crib can recognize its parents' faces, whether they're angry or happy. People are constantly transmitting messages with their faces. Rabbi Hutner said that Panim and Panim are two forms of the same word, and they have opposite meanings. Panim, face, is the outward thing a person has, while Panim, one's interior, is the most private. Rabbi Hutner explained that these two words are really the same, because you can discern the panim from the panim, the outside from the inside. And we do this all the time. The first thing you do when you meet someone is try to appraise him through his face. Occasionally you meet someone who seems cheerful, but inside of you a red light goes on. I was once sitting in shul, learning by myself, when a man with a beard and payas walked in. In those days, not so many people had a beard, so it was a sign of a from yid. Yet from the second I saw him, something frightened me. We started talking, and he seemed like a nice fellow, but something inside me kept saying, Get out of here. I kept telling myself, What's the matter with you? He's a nice person. Don't let your imagination get the better of you. In the course of conversation, he mentioned that the police were looking for him because of certain acts of violence he had committed. Chazal tell us, Don't look at the bottle. Look at what's inside. I heard from my mashkiach, Rabbi Feldman, of the Mir Yeshiva, that you should not judge a person by his outer appearance. Rather... You should see what his personality is really like. Don't form conclusions based on first impressions. Very often, after you know the person better, you develop a completely different impression of him, and your initial feelings will seem to have been false. However, Rabbi Feldman said that you should always keep your first first impressions in the back of your mind, because very often, after you get to know the person extremely well, you realize that your first impression you had was true. This is Chachmat Zapartzov. You should use it on a date. Problems develop when the pair who are meeting are so involved in trying to understand what kind of person their date is that they push out of their mind their natural feeling and true insights that are so important. You should make use of your own intuitive feelings. It is very valuable. So when you observe the young lady on a date, keep in mind what kind of impression you are receiving. 
A word of caution, as with any useful tool, one must be careful not to misuse it. Unfortunately, I've witnessed many who have callously rejected fine potential mates purely on the basis of superficial, intuitive impressions. It's even more heartbreaking when the individual is in desperate need of a zivug. As valuable as this tool is, intuitive impressions should be viewed in their proper place. Conversation Many people think that the sign of a successful date is how well the conversation is going. If the conversation flows freely, it's a good date. And if not, then the match is not for them. But ease of conversation doesn't really have too much significance. What what is important is compatibility, not flowing conversation. A young man whose main preoccupation in Torah study, who keeps to three sadarim a day, who is deeply involved in his learning, and constantly hears lectures from Rebbeim and Mashkichim on the importance of avoiding idle talk, until he finds, finally rids it from his system, now starts dating and is suddenly told, now is the time to start talking. But what is he supposed to talk about? He has trained himself not to talk for years, and now he has to chatter away. He doesn't know anything about politics. He doesn't read the newspapers. How many times can he ask, how did you enjoy the weather in Israel? He finds himself short on topics, then comes back from the date complaining that the lack of the lack of exciting conversation. Once in the Mir Yeshiva, Bachar came to the famous Meshkiach, Rabbi Rucham Lubavitz, and complained about the poor conversations he had with the girl he was dating. Rabbi Rucham replied, What do you expect? You're a masmid. You never stop learning. What should you talk to her about? The lack of conversation is no indication that the match is necessarily a bad one. This rule can hold true true, even if the parties are fairly good conversationalists, equipped with a large repertoire of interesting topics. There are many factors that can contribute to poor conversation on a date, even though the couple is really very compatible and suited for each other. Before you go on a date, prepare some informal topics that you and the young woman might talk about. Look up articles in a newspaper or magazine. Some people think this is somehow false and unnatural. There is absolutely nothing wrong with sitting down in a relaxed manner and finding topics you can draw upon on the course of a date. A person who comes prepared doesn't have to get nervous if there's a lull in conversation. The talk can flow naturally since you will be relaxed. If necessary, you can draw upon something from the material you have prepared. Though very often, people who do this tell me afterwards that they didn't have to rely upon this at all. A word of caution here, sometimes Bachram have no problem preparing what to talk about. They come armed with a tremendous amount of vartlach, short Torah thoughts they want to share. They rattle these off one after the other until the girl is gasping for air. Of course it's appropriate to share some Torah thoughts, and many girls even expect that from a ben Torah on a date. Just don't overwhelm the poor girl. Ideally, Divri Torah should be mixed in with stories and conversation. The main purpose of a date is to judge compatibility, and one of the best ways to do this is through plain, light-hearted conversation. Through small talk, one can get a good sense of the qualities of the communication between the two people. But if the young man monopolizes the conversation with his vartlach, how can he be accurately judging their compatibility? The girl can't get in, in a word, or alternatively, if both the girl and boy come prepared with vartlach, it's becomes like a game. Can you top this? He says his thought, she expresses hers, but you can't judge compatibility from this. Compatibility is much easier to discern from simple conversation. Along the same lines, you shouldn't get involved too much in heavy talk either, deep philosophical ideas or opinions. 
Of course, if you meet a girl with a deep mind who enjoys this type of thinking, you can share with her something from Dessler, for example. But in general, the conversation should tend toward light talk. Worldview. Don't rush to express extreme opinions on a date. Sometimes a person with generally moderate views feels strongly about a particular subject. Modesty, for instance, and wants to express his position. After all, the young lady should know who he is. She might even appreciate his zealousness and agree with him. So he starts talking about the issue right away. That's me, he says. I have to be honest. But he should avoid doing this, for the same reason that Cutler put paper in his shoes. Let the girl see the big picture first. There's no reason to express all your ideas on the first date. Your companion doesn't really know who you are, and she might not be prepared to hear these things. Of course you should express them at some point. The main idea is not to give an extreme impression. Keep in mind who you are talking to. If your outlook is not moderate, don't express it in the initial stages of dating. Using a shadchan. It's very important to always use a shadchan, not just to introduce you, but to also handle the dates as they progress. This is looked down upon in certain circles. The couples want to do everything themselves. They don't want someone in the middle clogging you up and delaying communications. And so at the end of the date, one party, usually the young man, says, I enjoyed this evening very much. Would you like to meet again? Watch out. First of all, you're putting your companion on the spot. Maybe she doesn't want to go out with you again, but it's too embarrassed to refuse to your face. Forcing a person into a second date can cause resentment and negative feelings. Sometimes there are misunderstandings on a date. A talkative young man may seem quiet when first meeting a girl on a date. The girl, however, wants someone outgoing and decides she doesn't want to see him again. If she were asked directly for a second date, she would decline, but the shadchan can clarify the facts for her that he was nervous or shy. One, one couple shadduchim were going well when suddenly the whole relationship fell apart. It turned out that one member of the couple had the habit of looking at the clock every few minutes. The other party interpreted the sign as a sign of boredom and dissatisfaction, but it was just a bad habit. Only through the cleverness of the shadchan could the relationship get back on track. There are even cases when the couple dated a few times and decided they were not compatible. The shadchan, however, felt otherwise, and he told the boy, I know you don't want to continue, but since the girl is so impressed with you, why don't you give it another chance? Then he said something similar to the girl. As comical as it sounds, I know a number of people who are happily married today because the shadchan used this trick. After a couple goes after a couple goes out many times and knows each other well, and perhaps they are even close to becoming engaged, they can start doing things on a direct basis. At the beginning, though, no matter how sure you are that the girl is interested in seeing you again, it isn't advisable to ask her directly on another date. She might be a sweet and pleasant person and won't want to offend you. You have nothing to lose by going through the shadchan. If the other party is impressed with you, she will agree to another date, even if this means a delay in time due to the relaying of messages. It is better to work through the shadchan than to take a shortcut and ask directly. Another advantage of not, taking, of not asking directly for another date is that if either party says no, no one invo- you avoid a un- very uncomfortable predicament of having to turn down the other party directly. A go-between can also present the no in a more diplomatic, less painful manner and the middleman can easily present the no in a way that can leave room so that sometime in the future the relationship can be resumed. Finding an advisor. Besides the shadchan, it's also important that you have an advisor, for his function is different. The shadchan is the go-between, whereas the advisor gives you counsel. 
It can even be the same person who plays two different roles. Your advisor should be a clever person, knowledgeable about dating, who has your best interest in mind. Try to steer clear of those who are not experienced, or of the young people who never went out with more than a few individuals. I know a young man who married the first girl he met, and yet he is known as an expert on dating. Bachram flocked to hear his advice. What does he know about, but what does he know about dating? He has no experience with girls. He never even spoke to them. I've heard some very wrong advice he has given to Bachram. On the other hand, I was once close to a Bachar who went out with a few hundred girls before he met a Zivuk. A person like that cannot help but gain a lot of experience. He would be able to share, share his experience and could give advice after he was married. But someone who went out with one, two, or three people doesn't have the right to give advice on such a complicated and delicate manners, matters. How do they accept the responsibility? Therefore, you must use your very good sense when choosing your advisors. Very often, an advisor can be used for all issues and matters. However, sometimes one does not have a general advisor or feels that they are not suitable for Shaduchim. When searching for an advisor, make sure there is compatibility of personality between you and him and that you're both on the same wavelength. You should understand each other and your general approaches should be similar. Secrecy. The next piece of advice is not to discuss your dates with other people. First of all, because it is immodest for Bachram to discuss girls with other Bachram. Secondly, Chazal say a blessing only rests on something hidden from the eye. Unless there is a good reason, nobody should know that you are dating a particular person. This includes your roommates, your best friends, and even your brother who is in yeshiva with you. I have seen from experience that people who are especially careful about this get special help from Hashem. Whereas detrimental things come from not being careful about this. For example, a young man goes out with a girl, but it doesn't work out. Later, later, an acquaintance of his goes out with her, but they get married. The new husband is liable to feel uncomfortable every time he sees his friend, who he knows went out with his wife. If nobody knows about their dating history, they can even be neighbors, and there will be no uncomfortable feelings between them. Another case concerns a bacher who meets a young lady and forms a negative impression of her, although he doesn't know her well. Afterwards, a friend goes out with her, and he is very impressed. If the second fellow discusses it with the first, he is going to hear a bad report. And though she may be very good for him, the friend will surely be influenced by what the other one says. I once knew a fine, intelligent young man, while dating a woman, made the mistake of mentioning this to a friend from another yeshiva. The damage that friend, friend did was awesome. I had to talk to the young man for many hours to uproot the foolishness that the second boy implanted in his mind. Eventually, the couple was married, and today they have a family. I'm very happy together. No matter how often Bachram hear it, most still find it hard to believe that secrecy is so important for the success of Shaduchim. Often, a Bachar will say he understands the issue and is in complete agreement, but then he acts carelessly. One such Bachar had a date one evening. Do you think the couple went to a hotel lobby or to a restaurant? No, they sat on a bench in his neighborhood and talked and this caused him a lot of unnecessary suffering afterwards. The girl had a relative in the neighborhood who saw them together, and she caused a lot of problems. Why didn't you keep it a secret, I asked him. It was a secret, he replied. I didn't sit in the middle of the neighborhood. I sat at a bench at the end of the block. You must do whatever you can to maintain the secrecy of the situation, even if it means being inconvenienced. For instance, you might have to dress for the date somewhere off the yeshiva grounds, perhaps at home of a married couple you know. This way, no one will see you leave the yeshiva in your Shabbos clothes. When I was dating my future wife, her brother was a close friend of mine and, my, and of my roommate. Yet, even he didn't know I was going out with his sister. 
No one claims that maintaining secrecy is easy, but it is essential. One Bachar was having a lot of difficulty finding the right girl. One day he returned from a date literally drunk with happiness. He had finally met a girl who impressed him greatly, and she liked him too. I was his advisor, and he told me about it when he returned from the date. Of course, I was very happy for him and pleased with him to keep it a se- and pleaded with him to keep it a secret. The very next day, the whole yeshiva was talking about it. He told everyone. As you can imagine, the relationship with the girl did not continue. If you have a reason to tell someone, for instance, if you need their help, then you must use your discretion and take them into your confidence. But if you don't need their help, don't tell them. Never feel that you must share these private matters with some specific person. You may be very excited and you're bursting to share your feelings with a friend, but don't do it. It's just not worth it. Prayer. Don't forget about God. By saying this, I might become the target of such remarks as, Thank you, Rabbi Mordechai, for revealing tefillah to the world. Maybe you would like to be alongside Yitzhak Avinu, the pillar of prayer. I'm not trying to introduce the idea of tefillah. We can easily fill a big room with books written on the meaning and importance of tefillah. People, however, become so involved with finding a shidduch that they very often simply overlook this vital tool for success. In general, many people don't make use of this wonderful opportunity of prayer during the course of the day for our personal needs. When Yaakov Avinu went to meet Esav, he prepared himself in three ways that are summed up by the words gift, prayer, battle. Prayer itself is considered an independent effort one must take, and this principle also applies to getting married. One at a time. It is also wise not to date two people at one time. Although there is nothing intrinsically wrong with it, and there are many who do it, it is nevertheless certainly not preferable. This applies especially to someone who understands the principles we discussed earlier, that each person must be evaluated in their own right, and that they may be your soulmate. This is very hard to do if you are seeing two people at once, for you end up comparing one against the other. An exception to this rule might be if a young man is dating a young woman and another suggestion arises of a girl who is about to travel to a different country. From the information about the girl, she sounds exceptionally compatible and it would be appropriate for them to meet. Keep up your learning. It's important that you be involved in learning as much as possible when you are going out. When I was a Bachar in Yeshiva, most of the boys were seriously involved in their learning. But I noticed a group of Bacharim, fine-looking boys, who were not so devoted to their studies. They would float around and talk or come late to davening. There was something strange about them. Later, I was informed that they were busy, meaning that they were involved in dating, and therefore exempt from learning. They were always schmoozing and comparing notes. On the other hand, there were Bacharim in the yeshiva that were just as busy, yet they were learning at the same time. There is no reason to become lax in your learning just because you are going out. You should be learning even more than you ordinarily do. It's true that dating sometimes takes a toll on Torah study because one goes to sleep late, or feels taxed or confused. However, your learning can have a tremendous positive effect on the success of your shidduch. There are at least three benefits that one gains from a full study of. There are at least three benefits that one gains from a full study schedule of Torah. First of all, Torah study is one of the greatest sources of blessings one can have in his life. We live in a time when everyone is running to Kabbalists for charms and amulets. Who wouldn't want a magical charm that would help them find their mate? A person would spend a lot of money to get such a thing. Torah is the best charm for success. It is known that a groom needs a shomer before his wedding to accompany him through the day and oversee his welfare. The post can write, however, that if the groom is a ben Torah, he does not need a shomer because the Torah itself is protecting him. It's as though he were carrying an amulet all the time. 
The greatest blessing you can have in dating comes from Torah study. By keeping your normal schedule, you are availing yourself of the greatest charm that exists. The second thing that Torah study gives is gives you clarity. Learning Torah is all about clarification, understanding the Gemara, Rashi, Taisvis. When you go out on dates, you will also want to be have the ability to see things clearly. We say every morning, Torah scholars increase peace in the world. Reb Chaim Pinchas Scheinberg, Rosh of Torah or Yerushalayim, explains that one of the key ways of making peace lies in the ability to understand both sides of an issue clearly. When couples quarrel, for example, one often finds the difference between them are very small. A Torah scholar can usually make peace between people easily because he's accustomed to examining things in depth and can get a clear picture. So too with dating, learning Torah helps you achieve the right perspective. Finally, Torah study helps to reduce some of the pressure of dating. It's very easy to get depressed when you're going out. Either you're not meeting the right type of person or you've met someone you like but she's not interested in you. Often it's difficult for a bacher to decide if a young woman is for him or if he is for her or if they should get married or if they should call it off. It can drive him crazy. True, it's hard to study Torah with these questions on your mind, yet nothing will help stabilize you more than learning Torah during this period. When you become involved in your studies, you will automatically put these stressful issues aside. When I was a bacher, I was part of a group of students that would frequently lecture informally on our studies in front of the other students. I always tried to give my presentation on the day when I had a date. From my own experience, I could tell you it's a wonderful feeling to go directly from presenting Torah to your friends to a date. You should do everything you can to ensure that you are involved in learning during the time when you are going out. Test situations. When going out, keep your eyes open for test situations. Small things that happen unexpectedly. Care should be taken not to read too much significance into these tests, but you should keep your antennas up for them. For example, if there's a sudden downpour and the girl's hairdo gets ruined, or if the waiter spills a little soup on her dress, pay attention to her reaction. Some girls will laugh about it, while others will become furious. In either case, you will get an insight into her true character. Girls, for example, might watch a boy's reactions if he gets lost or gets caught in a traffic jam. These real-life scenarios, which inevitably occur on dates, can highlight your date's true character. A bacher once went out with a young lady for the first time and arrived at her house a few minutes late. They started talking and he noticed something was bothering her. She had her hands on her hips and was tapping her foot. He tried to keep up the conversation, but she maintained her position. Finally, she said, well, well, what, he asked. Well, what's your excuse? She was waiting for him to apologize and give her an excuse for his tardiness. He probably should have offered some apology when he came in, but he was glad that he didn't since it revealed something unpleasant about her character. Later that night, another incident occurred. According to the Torah, a man walks ahead of a woman, whereas in the rest of the world, it's ladies first. She somehow gave him the impression that she was aware of the Torah way, and wherever they went, the bachar walked through the door first. Finally, she said, listen, I've had enough of this. When we walk through a door, I walk first. You hold the door open until I walk through. He didn't blame her for her outburst, since to a person accustomed to ladies first, Every door they walked through was a cause for disgrace. However, even though he understood how she felt, she shouldn't have expressed herself that way. Later, when he explained the Torah outlook on matter, she was very embarrassed at her outburst, but it was too late to retrieve her show of poor character. Eye contact. When a young man goes out on a date, he should look at the young woman. The Gemara says that it's forbidden to marry a woman until you have seen her. Sometimes a sincere bachar 
who tries hard not to look at girls, doesn't look at his date either. This can be extremely annoying to a young woman. Some eye contact with her should be made. Chazal permit a man to look at a woman if he is considering marriage with her. A young man on a date should be relaxed, just as he would be with a friend, sometimes looking at his companion and sometimes looking away. How many dates? How many times should one go out? This is an old question, and there are many different opinions on the matter. As unreliable as dating is for gaining true insight into the other person's character, it is the predominant practice today. Years ago, a person used to make a decision after three or four dates. Today, the consensus is that a person should be flexible in the number of dates he goes out. There are some girls' institutions that require their students to go out with a young man at least ten times. This may not be right either, but it's better than being stingy about the number of dates. Some leading American posts can say that a couple should meet at least six times before making a decision. Years ago, marriage, marriages in some popular Hasidic communities were generally prearranged, and the meeting between the couples was just a formality. But I have heard since that the Rebbe instructed courting couples to meet five or six times in order to get to know each other. One possible explanation for this change is that years ago, parents were more astute and were only interested in the benefits of their children. They understood their child's strengths and potentials better, and when viewing a prospective match, they did so with honesty and sincerity. Today, people in general don't seem to know much about personal strengths. Very often, the main thing they care about is money. Maybe the Rebbe felt that it was time for a different approach. Time comes to the rescue. There's a common type of situation in which one or both of the parties are having a difficult time coming to a decision. They are not sure about compatibility, feelings, or even looks. There are, however, some basic factors that pull the two together and make it difficult to end the relationship. The best way of dealing with such circumstances is to continue dating without any pressure, and most of the time they will eventually reach a clear decision. The problem is the conventional conventional number system that after a number of meetings, some kind of commitment is expected. In such instances, one should inform the shadchan and request that the other party agree to meet without any expectations and in an atmosphere free of pressure or stress. I don't have the words to stress how vital and important the above is. I have given this advice in numerous situations, and successful, happy marriages have emerged from the arrangements. Developing a connection. After you've gone out a number of times, and things seem to be progressing, it's a good idea to begin to show some warmth to your companion. Sometimes the connection fails to develop because the girl is shy or nervous, but someone has to take the initiative and break the ice. After a number of dates, the young man should start showing some warmth. For instance, whereas on a few dates, the custom is not to address the girl by her first name for, for reasons of modesty, he certainly should address her by her first name as time goes on. Likewise, whereas the beginning, he might not have complimented her in certain areas, now he should be complimenting her. The issue is subjective, both in regards to timing and in how much warmth to show. The whole matter is obviously very important, but generally, a generalization cannot clarify each situation. We can clearly see here the need for the sound guidance of a good advisor. A proposition about proposals. In the secular world, proposing marriage has become an intriguing procedure. It is a challenge which demands originality, courage, and strength and is also a gamble. It's viewed as a special secret event to be cherished in one's memory forever. In the Torah world, the procedure proposing marriage is very different. 
When you feel sure that the one you are dating is the one you wish to be partnered with in marriage, it is beneficial to discuss with a third party, preferably the go-between individual you have been using all along for communication purposes. This will enable you to learn how the other party feels about you. You might be pleasantly surprised to hear the feelings are mutual, or even more so that the other party has been patiently twiddling her thumbs and waiting for you to reach a decision. On the other hand, the other party may not be ready at all, and you will have to be you will have to patiently continue dating in the hope that she will eventually share your positive feelings. It's also possible that there is a specific issue that is holding her back and she doesn't feel comfortable discussing it with you. Now she will be, will be able to share it with the go-between, who will hopefully share it with you so that you can deal with it. It is important to realize that taking the liberty to communicate your strong positive feelings directly to your dating partner can often produce very negative results. The other side might be in the midst of a healthy emotional building process regarding the relationship, but hearing directly from you that you are ready can cause panic. This can easily snuff out an otherwise potentially promising match. Also, through the aggressiveness of being direct, one might be deprived of perhaps getting constructive feedback from a third party. There are, how, there are of course, exceptions where there is a very clear mutual understanding between the parties that they're both ready. However, under ordinary circumstances, it's not worthwhile to take a chance and proceed in this manner, meaning you should go through a shadchan. Some might feel that this is very unnatural, that it deprives one of asking perhaps the most important question they might ever ask to another in their lifetime. True, the spontaneity and excitement are missing, but preventing the damage that might occur if the other side isn't ready isn't worth the sacrifice. Many potential promising matches have failed because of a premature proposal and the unnecessary pressure that it creates. Patience, caution, and foresight are the key words. The consequences are so great to allow any impulsiveness. It is surely a time in our lives when cultivating self-control will bear lasting fruits. In summary, introducing your interest in marriage to the one you are dating through a middle party is certainly not as intriguing as the secular way is. It is not challenging. It requires no originality or courage, and there is no gamble. However, it certainly does hold a sacred place in our lives. Butterflies and cold sweat. Time and again, I have witnessed couples who, after announcing their engagement, experience nervousness about their decision. In a typical scenario, the chassan or kala is celebrating with his or her friends. They are singing and dancing around them in great joy, and suddenly they are plagued with doubts. Very often, these attacks come accompanied by butterflies in the stomach at occasions on which the commitment comes into reality. For example, the setting of a wedding date, the search for a wedding hall, and printing and sending out invitations. The most common version is walking up, waking up in the morning in cold sweat with a question going round and round. What am I getting myself into? The anxiety can avalanche into panic and hysteria. It's most important to understand that all these doubts do not reflect any reality and certainly should not create any suspicion of a problem. This outbreak is so common and affects so many people that it's clear that it's just nervousness. It would be extremely valuable for the couple to be alerted of this in advance. This can help avoid the situation or at least tone it down. In such an attack of nerves, if such an attack of nerves does occur and is causing distress, it should be discussed with a cool-headed, sensible person who can allay their fears. Of course, if one sees an issue that could cause a concrete problem, naturally it should be taken seriously and checked into. It would be a great service to humanity to pass on the above information.